Welcome back to Balagan. I'm Kobe Coin. On November 1st, 2022, Israelis went to vote again. And guess who's back? Um, the lead candidate to become Israel's next prime minister is probably Benjamin Netanyahu, who was the previous prime minister for a consecutive 12 years and 15 years in total. And in order to analyze what happened in these elections and how did Netanyahu came back with so much power, by the way, I have my dear friend Jeff Becker back with us. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Kobe. How's it going? You know, it's uh, interesting how uh, the title of this uh, podcast is DB is back. Well, you know, to me, this podcast should also be titled that Jeff Becker is back because, you know, it's been a while since I've uh, spoken with you and it's great to be back on, on, uh, on my end as well. Yeah, and it's great to have you. Uh, as always, I enjoy talking about Israeli politics with you. So, um, Jeff, what happened in Israel? <laughs> well, it was a win from all indications so far. I mean, you know, there's still time for the, the government to actually, the coalition to actually be built, but it looks like Benjamin Netanyahu has a pretty clear path to building a solid right-wing majority government consisting of um, the two Haredi parties, so Shas and United Torah Judaism, so the um, two religious Haredi parties, as well as uh, the religious Zionist party, which includes uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir and Betzal Smochuk. So, you know, from what we got out of this last round of voting and this last election, is that I think it's safe to say that this is the most right-wing government that's been elect that is about to be uh, put into power in Israel's history, and you know it's going to have far-reaching implications. I'll say that um, on top of the overall win for the for Benjamin Netanyahu and his uh, right and far-right partners, it was also a pretty decimating result for the Israeli left. Specifically, you know, you had labor, which only was able to come out with four seats. Merits couldn't even cross the threshold. Um, you know, there was a split between the Arab parties. So Balad, which is an Arab party, which we'll speak about a little bit more, they weren't able to cross the threshold. Adash Ta'al, which is another Arab party, they only got four seats. So, you know, all in all, this was a, a clear victory for the right wing and uh, Netanyahu's partners. And, you know, a, the other side just couldn't get it done. The Arab couldn't get it done. He was able to increase his vote share a bit, but it's not necessarily about the votes you get, but it's about the uh, the blocks, about um, the political blocks and the coalitions you build. And Lapid just wasn't able to get his coalition partners uh, intact and ready to go for this election, and they paid the price for it. And I can add to it. You described it quite well. It was a big, big, big balagan for the center left, or uh, the media like to call it the change block. Uh, but we need to remind our audience that two parties over there are clearly right-wing parties, which is Israel Beitenu, which is a liberal, secular right-wing party, and New Hope, uh, led by Gidon Saar, that uh, merged into the National Unity Party, led by Benny Gantz, formerly it was blue and white, while Netanyahu knew how to uh, play with his cards and how to hold his uh, supporters tight. If we're talking about what you described, you know, religious Zionism and the ultra-Orthodox parties, so religious Zionism is actually 
a joint party of the religious Zionism led by Bezalel Smutrich and a Jewish power led by Itamar Ben-Gvir. Now, if you look at 2021, when Itamar Ben-Gvir was running on his own, you know how many votes he got in total? He didn't cross the threshold. But you know with how many votes? No. Only 19,000. So when you think about it, he got 19,000, okay, in 2021, and Bezalel Smutrich with religious Zionism got 220, give and take 226,000 votes, okay? And this year they got together 516,000 votes. They became the third largest party in Israeli politics with, with 14 seats. It's insane. And I think it's important to touch on that, about the, the increase in the vote share for both um, for the combined party of the religious Zionists and Atma Yudi, which is Jewish power, which, you know, essentially, even the combined slate of the two, you can argue, is in itself very Pahanist, uh, Jewish supremacist, um, very, you know, very, very mm -hmm. far, far right. I think it's important to note that, you know, one of the reasons as to why they were able to substantially increase their vote share, both, you know, you could argue different historical events which took place in between the time of the last election and this election, which, you know, we're speaking about May 2021 and the uh, riots between Arabs and Jews in mixed cities. Right. Um, and we can also speak about how that affected the psyche of the Israeli right wing, particularly Likudniks, and basically how the traditional Likud voters are, were radicalized from that, pushed towards the right. And they thought that, you know, a vote for Likud in itself wasn't enough. They're going to need to, they want Netanyahu to stay in power, but they're going to need someone to keep him on the right. And the only way to keep Netanyahu like to the right is by voting for Ben Gvir and Smotrich. If so, you want you to know, hold him not, accountable for his uh, <laughs> promises. So it's, you know, it's like Ben Gvir and Smotrich, not only were they able to get out the vote with their traditional, uh, you know, ultra extremist voters, you know, religious Zionist voters, but um, they were able to expand their base to, you know, secular right-wingers, I mean, you know, ones who would have never thought to have voted for them like years ago. You had seculars, you had ultra-Orthodox that voted for them. I mean, based on the polls, by the way, and that was one of the things that was misleading through the whole time, the polls were showing steady that, you know, there is a deadlock between the change block, which I don't like the name, but I'll say the BB block and the anti-BB block. And you brought the exact point of what won the election. It was fear and hatred. And you mentioned May of 2021 when there were riots in the, in the mixed cities in Israel. And ever since, by the way, I can't say right away, okay, but, but ever since, especially after uh, Netanyahu lost to Naftali Bennett and Yair uh, Lapid, he started delegitimizing the government that it's being supported by terror supporters and that the Arabs are, you know, they are not loyal to the state of Israel, they are not Zionists, so it's... Uh, and he did what he knows best, to delegitimize his uh, op opponents. And eventually, he used, you know, Itamar Ben-Gvir. And I can say in a way that uh, when it comes to Itamar Ben-Gvir, it's the genie that got out of the bottle 
but Netanyahu didn't knew how big it's going to be. I don't think that even Netanyahu thought that Itamar Benvir can get 14 seats in the Knesset. You know, and at this point, you can literally say that Itamar Benvir and Bezalel Smutrich are holding Netanyahu in a very, very sensitive uh, strategic point. And it doesn't mean that they're going to be uh, coalition members, by the way. And you know why? Well, you think uh, Bibi's going to try and rope in Gantz or a centrist in order to not have to deal with the uh, radical right-wingers? Netanyahu always needs somebody that he can blame for why he didn't do things that he promised to do. So if you look at Netanyahu's uh, track record of uh, forming coalitions, he always had somebody from the left or center-left or how it's called, and why? So he can always say, oh, my hands were tied. I couldn't make changes in the Supreme Court. I couldn't make changes in the justice system. I couldn't, uh, you know, strike the Arabs like I wanted to. And now he's running out of excuses. I mean, technically, he can form a coalition with only four parties. The Likud, who got 32 seats, okay, that's the, the largest party. They went up two seats from 2021. Um, religious Zionism with 14 seats. That's an uprise of eight seats from the 2021 election. Then, of course, you have Shas and the UTJ. Shas went up from 9 to 11, and UTJ are steady with the seven seats. But in total, it's 64 mandates out of 120. So he, in theory, can have a firm coalition he can uh, close the negotiations really fast. I doubt, by the way, if he's going to do it that fast. Netanyahu tends to uh, drag time and to drag the negotiations. I will be surprised if he's going to do it that quickly, unless, by the way, there's going to be a huge pressure on him by his base. Because you can see that a lot of his supporters are actually saying, oh, now we can do whatever we want. Uh, you know, we can bypass Piscata uh, Gabrut. I forgot the overcome uh, uh, ruling uh, that, uh, that uh, you know, it's going to allow us to bypass any uh, Supreme Court's decision and they will not be able to uh, interfere with the, um, the Knesset's decisions. But I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if he's going to start with that coalition and in a couple of months he's going to drag somebody out of the suckers of the you know, center-left uh, <laughs> um, opposition. So you think that he'll start the government with Ben-Gvir and the, Har- the Haradim, but uh, eventually you think it'll come down in a couple months and then he'll have to bring in someone more moderate and center? I mean, a lot of it depends on how will how much will Ben-Gvir and Smutrich will uh, pull the rope. And I mean, given how many votes they got, it seems like they're going to, you know, I mean, they're making it clear already that, uh, you know, Ben Gvir wants a public security minister portfolio. And, you know, like these guys want uh, defense portfolios. Like they want some really serious positions. So they do. And by the way, uh, you know, you mentioned um, the minister of finance. Actually, uh, Bezalel Smutrich is considered to be. You, 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 sorry, you mentioned the Minister of Defense, but now um, it's uh, we are recording on November 7th. So 
as of uh, November 7th, there are actually two names that are uh, putting in the, uh, you know, um, as, as a potential ministers of finance, and one of them is actually Bezalel Smutrich. But you know who is the other one, by the way? Yeah, it's uh, Yitzhak Goldnow from uh, UTJ. You, so you're close, by the way. UTJ doesn't tend to take uh, seats in the government, in the cabinet. Usually they will not be sworn oath uh, to the cabinet, but they are taking actually one of the most important roles in the Knesset. And you know where is that? The finance committee. And you know why? For the yeshivas. Because that's where they pass the yearly budget. And if the head of the, you know, of the committee doesn't want to pass the budget, he's the guy, as we always say in Hebrew, the guy who's holding the, you know, who's controlling the water stream. But the other guy that uh, I let you guess, and you're close enough because uh, UTJ are, uh, are going to be one of the biggest uh, beneficiaries of this coalition, is actually Arya Deri of Shas. All right, so I got the, the head of UTJ. I got the head of one of the Haredi parties, but, you know, it was actually the head of the other one. So I'll give myself a pat on the back anyways. Yeah, enough. yeah, you do get, you do get, you get an A minus for that. It was close okay. enough. Uh, even though you know what, uh, yeah, it's not. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you A minus for that. But Arya Derry, and that's uh, that's you know also one of the reasons that they want to do um, the the bypass ruling, is that Arya Derry was actually indicted, and he was in prison. And that's one of the reasons that he had to quit, by the way. He resigned from the Knesset last time. You know, he was not a member of the Knesset, and now he's coming back. And that's one of the reasons that they want to do a bypass ruling. But Shas and Aguda are going to be the biggest beneficiaries, because Netanyahu already gave promises that, if to be honest, when we we'll talk about the campaigns and the failures of the change block or the anti-Bibi block, that's one of the biggest fails. Netanyahu met you know, with his uh, block representatives. with, And he promised them that not only that he's going to enlarge the budget, he is actually going to, you know, he's not going to enforce them to study math, science, and English. And nobody, nobody from the other side, from the current coalition, said a word about it. Now, when you think about it, it's something that is completely unsustainable for the state of Israel. The ultra-Orthodox minority is already at almost, I think, 22% in overall of Israel's population. And, you know, the numbers say that by 2050, there are going to be more than a third. So if they currently don't work, okay, and they don't study math, science, and English, they're going to stay, you know, poor and ignorant. The fact that Netanyahu was willing to make those promises, and by the way, I'm quite sure that, you know, to the ultra-Orthodox, he always gave whatever they wanted. They were his most trusted allies for years. It's literally an irresponsible promise for, you know, if you're trying to secure Israel's future. And that brings us to the next topic, and that is... Did Netanyahu win or the anti-Bibi block lost? Well, seems like a, a big combination of both. I mean, you know, I think it was kind of inevitable that we were going to get to this point. 
you know, just the sentiment of the population was just leaning so right, especially after the uh, May uh, 2021 protests. But, you know, there there was some bad decisions or, I mean, you know, hindsight's 2020, but decisions that could have been made on the, quote, anti-BB block side that could have possibly changed things. Um, You know, one of them was, um, you know, it's, Obviously, it wasn't necessarily uh, intentional, but, you know, the breakup of uh, the Arab parties definitely resulted, you know, in a lot of lost votes. I mean, Balad, I think, got 3%, and the threshold is 3.25%. You're close. Balad got 2.9%. They got uh, almost 140,000 votes. So Balad by itself, you know, got 2.9%. I mean... Hadash Ta'al took a beating with only getting four seats. Ram actually did pretty well with uh, five seats. But yes. um, all in all, I mean, the fact that Balad fell under the threshold, you know, as a whole shrunk the air of uh, the Palestinian vote share. Um, you know, there was also a lot of bad decisions made on uh, the Israeli left side. You know, you could make the argument that, uh, you know, maybe labor and merits should have merged. Maybe they knew in polling that they merits was... Uh, both merits and labor were weaker than they seem to, uh, you know, seem to have been. And, you know, merits fell under the threshold, and that was another four votes down the drain or four seats down the drain. So, you know, a, a lot of people are accusing Yair Lapid, who was the head of the anti-change uh, or the anti-BB block, as you know, kind of cannibalizing parties on the left. But uh, you know, it was. I'm not necessarily going to put the, you know, I don't, I don't think personally it's right to blame, you know, the Arab parties or, you know, Mirab Mikhaeli, for instance, for not doing a merger because, you know, for instance, I mean, merits going under the threshold surprised me as well. You know, I think at the end of the day, it falls on each party to be able to get out their voters. And, you know, in the case of merits, they weren't able to do that. In the case of Hadash Ta'al, they also weren't able to do that. Case of labor, they weren't able to do that. So, you know, I think that it was there was a lack of uh, strategy on the anti-BB side, and there was a strategy on the uh, pro-BB side, and you know the combination of the two is what uh, resulted in the results that we got. You brought up a lot of accurate points, but I will tell you that I actually think you know you said that uh, um, you're not holding uh, Lapid responsible. I think that there are a lot of people that are responsible, you know, to these camps. Uh, situation. I would say that Lapid and actually Naftali Bennett has a, a, a big responsibility. And I'll tell you in a second why. I think that Naftali Bennett, of course, the outgoing, uh, uh, the first prime minister of this uh, block, Benny Gantz holds a huge responsibility. Merav Mikhaeli of Labour and Zava Galon of Meretz. And of course, the Arab parties. And let me start breaking it down. So if we're talking about Naftali Bennett, Naftali Bennett came from the right. He started with a seven-seat party called Yamina. Eventually, uh, Yamina broke, and his successor, Ayelet Shaked, who was the Minister of uh, Interior Affairs in this outgoing, in the in the current government, was running with the Jewish home. If we're talking about an old party that he demolished uh, <laughs> four, uh, four campaigns ago. And they didn't cross the threshold, by the way. They got 50,000 50, votes, 58,000. But Yamina voters were more moderate in overall. They were like, 
I would I don't like to call it soft right wing because I don't believe in those uh, terms. Eventually, you know, if she got only 58 after she made promises that she's going to go with Bibi, I would say that a lot of her voters either didn't go to vote or they voted for another right wing party, either Likud or to Itamar Ben-Gvir and Bezalel Smutrich. Uh, and the fact that Naftali Bennett refused to say who is going to vote, you know, when you are not saying, you are literally saying, you know, I don't care. And if you are in a role of leadership and you portray yourself as somebody who may do a, a comeback, I would have expected a little more of him. If we talk about Yair Lapid, Yair Lapid didn't run a campaign. He was trying to show that he is the responsible, you know, grown up. The, the adult in the room. So he was in the role of a prime minister. But if you remember, when Netanyahu was prime minister, every evening, you know, the people in Israel would see him and you will have a push, you know, uh, push notifications that Netanyahu said here and said that and did that. And, and it doesn't matter if it was true or not. Okay. He was always like, uh, Amos Oz once, uh, um, Amos Oz, the late uh, um, novelist in Israel, once described Benjamin Netanyahu as a compressor who stopped working when <laughs> when he was uh, kicked out of office. You know, that it's like the compressor that doesn't stop uh, running in your living room. And that's what Netanyahu is doing, by the way, all the time. And Yair Lapid thought that it will give him bigger credit. So if you're looking about, you know, what the polls, what the public opinion thought, who's more equipped to be prime minister? Do you know what was uh, Lapid's percentage uh, versus Netanyahu? No. Netanyahu got 49%, and that was like, I'm talking about like two weeks before the election. Well, yeah, Lapid got 31% in overall. It didn't work on the public. On the other hand, Yair Lapid was not forcing his block or his side to do anything. In Israel, the parties, because it's a parliamentary system and, you know, you have a lot of voters and a lot of votes that actually go to the trash, right? As we saw, we spoke about Balad, about Ayelet Shaked. Then parties usually sign something that is called a surplus agreement. And in the, in the parliamentary system, it means that if both parties cross the threshold, then the extra votes goes to one of the two parties and they usually get an extra seat. Four parties on Yair Lapid's side didn't have a surplus agreement. You know who didn't have an agreement? So first thing is uh, Avigdor Lieberman and Israel Baitenu. And for his defense, I can say that he couldn't sign any agreement with Balad or, uh, or the Arab parties because Labour and Meretz did sign a surplus agreement. Actually, I'll say, speaking of the um, Arab parties and surplus agreements, I know that there was a there was difficulty trying to get um, Padash Ta'al and uh, Ram and Bad to sign surplus agreements amongst each other. What ended up happening there? Oh, well, so that was, that was the biggest malfunction because, first thing, the surplus agreement only works if both parties cross the threshold. If one of them or both of them doesn't cross the threshold, all of these votes are going, you know, uh, they're wasted. So in the Arab parties, first thing, they split from two parties to three parties. 
And that was a big mistake, both from their end as parties and for the Israeli-Arab interest, I would say. And also it was tragic for Yair Lapid, because if we're talking about Balad with 130,000, if they were a part of Hadash Tal, okay, and we're talking about the Arab voting in overall, if we talk in absolute numbers, in 2021, the Arab voting was 44.6% voting. And in this round of election, it went up to 55%, which is a lot in terms of uh, potential mandates. But when you think about it, you have give and take a minimum of four mandates that went to waste because Bala didn't cross the threshold and Hadash Tal didn't sign any agreement with Ram because they have so much bad blood with Mansour Abbas who went to the coalition and actually he was the one who left the joint list, the joint Arab list before. Another uh, issue that we had, and you mentioned it, it is that, uh, you know, a lot of my, uh, let's say, uh, leftist uh, Facebook wall, okay, is blaming Merav Michaeli for the loss of merits and to the fact that merits did not cross the threshold. So I will say on uh, Merav Michaeli's defense, and it's hard to say a lot of things on her defense because she was also both her and merits, I would say, don't have a lot to sell these days. You know, if the public wanted them in the Knesset, he would have voted for them. But Merav Michaeli, she was depending on actually polls based on uh, past experience that if Meretz and Labour running together, they actually get a lot less votes. Okay. The last time they did it, they got seven seats together. And that was in the second round of the election. If you remember that it was a coalition of Meretz, Labour, and Ehud Barak's uh, party. Um, the Democratic Union. Yes, the Democratic Union. No, it was Levy. actually Labor Merits and uh, Orly Levy, right? Well, Orly Levy was, uh, she was joined by Labor because of Amir uh, Peretz. So they got seven seats. And in the next round of election, both of them combined got 13 seats. So she had, you know, a solid uh, argument on why not to, uh, to unify with Merits. Having that said, both of these parties are completely irrelevant to the Israeli public these days. I'm sorry to say that. You know, uh, both of them in many ways stick to identity politics. Merav Michaeli has brought a lot of criticism on her, on her functioning as Minister of Transportation. They said that she is investing a lot of, you know, feminist things and speaking in a... Um, gender equal language which you don't Hebrew so it's a lot harder but she would always say you know atem ve'aten you and you in English it's just you it's a lot easier but in Hebrew you have different phrase for uh, men and women for male and female so and it was exhausting people really got aggravated by that and merits most of what Nitzan Horowitz, for example, as the Minister of Health Department was uh, proud of, that he made changes for a fact that gay men can now donate blood. To the majority of the public, it's irrelevant. They don't care who donates and who doesn't. Okay, a couple of years ago, people studied that actually, you know, Ethiopian donors' blood was thrown to, to, to garbage 
And I don't remember that it brought a lot of voters as, a, as, a, as an issue. Now, I'm not saying if it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that they were completely irrelevant to the general public opinion. And, you know, they need to go and do their homework to see whether they're going to run again in next election. Maybe it's time to think about a new construction for a left-wing party in Israel. But I will also say, I hardly touched Benny Gantz. Uh, Benny Gantz didn't prove himself. You know, he was running himself as the black horse, trying to portray that he is the only candidate who has a chance to form a coalition with the ultra-Orthodox, who's not Bibi. And by doing that, he crumbled, you know, Yair Lapid's uh, legitimacy. So if you are the leader of a bloc, and somebody is challenging you from your end, what can I say? The other thing that he did, I mean, you know, in overall, when uh, Benny Gantz, uh, you know, got elected last time with Blue and White, he had eight seats. And New Hope with Gidon Saar had six seats. In total, it was 14 seats. So they also, even though they joined forces, they lost two mandates. They actually thought that they're going to take Yamina's voters. And I think that what would have helped them, by the way, would have been if Naftali Bennett would have endorsed them. But Naftali Bennett, once again, refused to do so, to endorse anybody. And that's how we got to it. Mm, um, not, not the most surprising, given Bennett's history of trying to play on all sides. Looks no, like definitely. Uh, even when he's on his way out of politics, he still tries and uh, plays on both sides. I, yeah. I'm not really. I don't. It didn't work the first time. It didn't work this time. So I don't. He can continue to keep doing that and whatever he does post political life. But I mean, it's not great. Yeah. Now you're mentioning, you know, that. Um, Hatred and, and fear were fueled by the, you know, by the May 2021, um, you know, clashes with Israeli Arabs. And I agree with you. But I think that it was also, you know, fueled even more because ever since the government was formed, Netanyahu was doing everything he could to delegitimize, you know, its base because he wasn't the prime minister, if to be honest that it's illegitimized because it's being supported by uh, Mansour Abbas and Ram, who are uh, a religious uh, Muslim party. They are a member of the Muslim Brothers International uh, um, Organization, which is, I would say, a very, very religious Muslim um, you know, organization. The Nation of Islam here in the States, for our uh, American listeners, that's their, uh, I would say, uh, sister organization and once it was delegitimized and nobody from the current government was defending the coalition on that okay netanyahu it was easy for him to fuel his people everybody was pumping that and when you have somebody like itamar benfield who's a provocateur you know he's uh, he's very provocative okay he literally pulled out his gun several times in a couple of occasions in Sheikh Jarrah, and in mixed cities. And he went, a long time ago, he kicked a transgender uh, woman in Israel when he went to protest against uh, the gay parade. When you have this kind of atmosphere that is being, by the way, pumped by the media, Israel's main news channel, News 12, actually promoted a survey that one of his questions was, 
do you agree with the statement that this government is being supported by terror supporters now was a statement that they that that was a statement the, one given, of the main the main channels in israel sent out and that was considered to be uh you know a legit question nobody you know from the coalition came out against it so if that's the game you know i always say you know even when we spoke before about uh, earlier uh, election terms is that if you're going into a fist fight you better not wear gloves and you know we had a clear case of uh, one side that not only that comes with no gloves but literally comes with uh, you know uh, rocks and uh, sticks and in america you say if uh, if you know that you're going to fight with somebody with a stick bring a bigger stick i don't know what to say about it only uh, time will tell yeah so we're going to see now you know we're going into the uh, coalition nego- to the negotiations we'll see how long it will take uh, uh, netanyahu to form a coalition and i guess we'll have to talk again soon and see if netanyahu did form the coalition with his uh, natural allies or if he pulled the trick again as i like to say and dragged somebody who's going to be the responsible adult in his uh, <laughs> coalition all right well kobe as always great analysis on your end you know looking forward to hopping back on here and uh you know talking to everyone about the updates that uh will inevitably uh come across um yeah always a pleasure talking to you my friend and thank you for uh, being with me and for being so uh you know uh invested in this topic i mean uh it's not common to speak to somebody your age not that i'm that old okay but uh jeff is a bit no, you're, younger you're, than you're, I'm. you're getting there Kobe. You're getting yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway always a pleasure my friend thank you very much for being with me and we'll talk again soon to see how the coalition negotiations are working out i hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan, www.balagan.ltd, for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now, and have a great day.